All right. All right. Well, I'm getting a couple of uh, looks about, hey, Kevin, you're wearing a tie. It's Mother's Day, right? You're supposed to look good for mom, right? So, uh, yes, there is a tie on. I'm trying to honor my wife and my mom who's not here, but trying to honor them. You know, as, as we look at Mother's Day, undoubtedly all over the Christian world, there are pastors who are getting ready to preach. And because it's Mother's Day, they're going to turn to uh, Proverbs 31. And they're going to look at a woman called the Proverbs 31 woman. Let me tell you what a lady she is. Proverbs 31 describes this wonder woman as a woman who gets up before dawn and and works all day long until the early hours of the next morning. We've developed in our minds a mental image of, of, of of who she is. We have her, we picture her of having the looks of a movie star. We, we picture her having the domestic abilities of a master chef. We picture her with the stamina of a world-class athlete. We picture her of having the intellect of a professor with a PhD. We picture her of having the tenacity of a political operative. We picture her of having the wisdom of a godly missionary the sensitivity of Mother Teresa, the business sense of a Fortune 500 company executive, the grace of an etiquette expert, and the spirituality of the Virgin Mary. And we look at this woman, and so many pastors today are going to turn to Proverbs 31 and say, this is what mothers are supposed to be. And we look and say, wow, that's awesome. Let me ask you, Can any of us measure up to that standard of perfection of the Proverbs 31 woman? She is certainly a a goal that is worthy for us to aim for. But I'm not sure that there are many mothers who actually fulfill every one of those qualifications in that description of the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, in fact, as you read through Scripture... Uh, you get to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of the heroes of the faith chapter. There are all these people who's, who, who have had such a great testimony. And, and they become examples for us to follow. And, and uh, this is commonly known as the hall of fame of faith. And it's interesting that there are only two women that are listed in this chapter of, of Hebrews chapter 11. And none of them are the Proverbs 31 woman. The first woman that's listed is Sarah in verse 11. She was the wife of Abraham. And the second woman that's listed is in verse 31. And it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had uh, given a friendly welcome to the spies. Here in this chapter of of the heroes of the faith, of the examples we're to follow, it lists Rahab who's described as a prostitute in Jericho. Now, Sarah, Sarah, I get. I mean, she's the wife of, of the father of the Israelite nation. I mean, I, I can understand Sarah, but Rahab, she's a prostitute, and she becomes an example for us to follow? I'm not sure I get that. But there's more. You see, in in Matthew chapter 1, in Matthew chapter 1, there's a a genealogy of Jesus. There's a lineage of all the people who, who, 42 generations back, of of people uh, that lead back to Jesus' genealogy. 
Um, there are 42 men listed in this genealogy, and there are five women listed. And Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, guess whose name is there? It says in verse 5, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and, and so and so forth. So in the lineage of Jesus, in, in Jesus' genealogy, somehow this, this prostitute from Jericho gets inserted as being part of gene, Jesus' genealogy. There's got to be something about this woman that makes her different. Something that takes a woman who was once a prostitute, but now 3,000 years later, she is remembered as a hero and as an example for us to follow, and she is remembered in the genealogy of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to continue in our uh, Joshua series of Be Strong. And we're going to look in Joshua chapter 2 at the story of Rahab. See, I believe it's fitting for us here on Mother's Day. I mean, we could turn and look at the Proverbs 31 woman of what mothers ought to be. But you know what my fear is? If we were to look at the Proverbs 31 woman today of what ought to be, the reality of us, the reality is, I don't think anybody in here measures up to that Proverbs 31 woman. I don't think anyone can fulfill all those qualifications of that Proverbs 31 woman. I mean, sure, we might fill a few of those, uh, a couple of those qualities, but truthfully, there are some of those qualities that we absolutely bomb on. We will never even come close to what's described in Proverbs 31. So my goal this morning is not to make anyone walk out of here feeling bad because they don't measure up. My goal isn't to, to preach a message. And as Christians, what we do is we fake it till we make it, right? We just pretend that we have it all together because that's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. No, no, that's not what I want to do today. I want to focus on the reality of where we are, and encourage us that if God could change the outcome of Rahab, the prostitute, the harlot's life, and, and have Jesus' lineage come through her, then surely there is hope that God can do something in us and make something of our lives. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back. Uh, if you just put your hand up, he'd love to be able to put one of those in your hand. You know, if people on different sides, it's fun to watch the, the usher run back and forth. So put your hands up on either sides and make them run. It'd be kind of fun. Joshua chapter 2, and I'm going to do something really weird. Uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So uh, grab a Bible, follow along with me. And uh, there are uh, 24 verses listed here. So uh, do your best to follow along. The words will be on the screen as well. And it says this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they, where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. And I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for, they will, for you will overtake them. But she had uh, brought them onto the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. 
So the men pursued after them uh, on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you uh, came out of Egypt. And, when you, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of, he, because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, uh, when, then when the Lord gives us the land to deal, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city walls, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath uh, of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is, in the, who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect of your, to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed. She tied the scarlet cord to the window. They departed and went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned, and they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told them all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land Melt away because of us. And that, all 24 verses, is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, we are so excited to be here and excited to be able to celebrate so many different things. Be able to celebrate Charlotte and, and, and Neil and Holly dedicating Charlotte to you. To be able to celebrate the impact that mothers have made in all of our lives. And God, as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, I pray that you would speak to, to the mothers here today. God, I pray that you would speak to the fathers, to, to the husbands, to the wives, to the sons and the daughters, to every one of us in here today. That as we look and we try to understand what this story is about Rahab and how God, how you can change Rahab's life from being a prostitute to being an example of faith. God, I pray that you would speak exactly what we need to hear today. God, I pray that we would walk out encouraged by you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask for your presence with us now. In your name, amen. So we're going to look today at the faith of a shady lady. 
Just say shady lady with me. It's just kind of fun. Shady lady. Just kind of rolls off the tongue. In order for us to have a proper understanding of this Rahab story, we need to pay careful attention to how this chapter is set up, to how it is organized. So the first thing we're going to see in verse 1 is we're going to see the commission by Joshua. The spies commissioned by Joshua. The second thing that we'll see is in verses 2 through 7, you're going to see the arrival of the spies into uh, Jericho and the concern for the protection of the spies. The third section, verses 8 through 14, you see Rahab's amazing confession of faith. The fourth thing that you're going to see in verses 15 through 21 is you see the escape of the spies out of Jericho and the concern for the protection of Rahab and her family. And finally, the last section uh, of this chapter, verses 22 through 24, you see the return of the spies and the report to Joshua about all they had seen in Jericho. So really, if you were to look at this chapter, you would kind of see it's, it's kind of shaped kind of like a sandwich. You know, uh, the first and fifth sections, they kind of represent the slices of bread. The second and fourth sections, they kind of represent the lettuce and the, the cheese. And the third section, the middle section, it represents the meat. Now, obviously, the meat is the most important part of a sandwich, right? Right? It's the most expensive part of the sandwich as well. And so the lettuce is extra. The, the bread is just there to keep the mayonnaise from getting all over your hands. But the real, the crux of the story, the important part of the story is the part that we need to pay attention to. And that's the middle section, verses 8 through 14. So I want to go through and we're going to summarize the first two sections of this story. And then we're going to get to the meat of the story. And that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. So section one, the, the spies are commissioned by Joshua. You know, if, if they could take, uh, if, the, if the Israelites could take Jericho, I mean, Jericho was the first uh, city that they would come into as they're trying to take the promised land, as they're trying to conquest the land, to take the land that God has given to them. And if they could take Jericho, they could cut straight across and divide the land. And then it would be so much easier for them to move to the south and, and defeat the cities in the south, and then move to the north and defeat the cities in the north. This was an important city for them to capture. Because it would divide the land. Now Jericho was a hostile and awesome environment. This city was a mighty fortress. Protected by great walls all around it. The walls of Jericho were actually double walls. 15 feet apart. These, these walls were, were probably 30 feet high. The, the inner wall was 6 feet wide. That's a big wall. The outer wall was 12 feet Jericho had stood for hundreds of years, and and the people of Jericho believed it was an impregnable city. No one could come in. It was fortified. So the people thought that it was an impenetrable city. The people of Jericho, they were lost in sin, as were all the inhabitants of this promised land. These were an immoral people. These were people who did evil in the sight of God. And these were people who, who... uh, worshipped idols. Specifically in Jericho, they were, uh, Jericho was one of the principal seats of idol worship. They worshipped the, the moon god, Ashtera. Ashtera was uh, worshipped as the god of, of the moon, the god of love, the god of war. And in fact, the worship of Ashtera, of Ashtera was noted for its sensuality and it involved ritual prostitution. 
So Joshua sends these two spies into the land, not to, not to, not so much to see if it could be done, to see if it could be done that they could take the land, but more so he sent the spies into the land to try and figure out how the citizens were reacting to the arrival of the people of Israel, who were just a short distance away across the Jordan River from Jericho. In section two, section two quickly moves into the spies arriving and their protection by Rahab. The story says that they go and they stay at the house of Rahab the prostitute. And while they were there, this wasn't an opportunity for them to mix business and pleasure. Rather, they, they go to the house of the prostitute, probably because it was an easy place to go and not be noticed. There was probably people coming and going all the time. And the goal for them was, hey, we can just find a place that we cannot be noticed. That'd be a good thing for us to do as we're spies in this land. But somehow the king finds out that they are there. And he sends Jericho's police detectives to go and investigate at Rahab's house. Rahab tells this lie and tells the police that she didn't know who they were, so she sent them away, and they've gone out of the city. So she tells the soldiers, hey, you can go and get them. Go chase them. And so while the spies are hiding on the roof the entire time, the soldiers leave to pursue the spies. The gates close behind them. Now, sometimes as I read through the Bible, my inquisitive mind begins to look at the story and say, I want to know more. Right? I mean, there's so many things that's, that's left out of this story. And we're like, the writer, maybe he's not a very good writer because I want to know more, right? I want to know how did the spies get into the city? I mean, if this is one of the most fortified cities in, in, in all of their day, how did the spies get into the city? I mean, I want to know, I want to know how the king finds out that they, got there, that they were there. I mean, it doesn't tell this, but I want to know, did, 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 the spy, did the king have spies watching the people of Jericho so they would see that this happened? I want to know how the king knew this. I want to know how the king knew that, that they were at Rahab's house. I mean, did somebody, did, did somebody in Rahab's house, did one of Rahab's patrons go and tell the king, hey, here's what's happening? I mean, I want more facts. It seems like the writer leaves out some important details of the story. And then additionally, what about the lie that Rahab tells, uh, tells the, the soldiers? I mean, isn't lying against God's law? Isn't lying wrong? I mean, I mean, how come the writer doesn't step in here and correct Rahab in her lie? I mean, this is, I mean these, these are the questions, as I read the story, these are the questions that I like, like man, I want to know these things. But you see, sometimes we spend too much time focused on the details of what God doesn't seem interested in revealing to us. You know, too often we approach the Bible to find answers to the questions that we have, rather than than simply hearing what the Word of God is, is really trying to tell us. You see, here the writer, he's not concerned about providing these answers. He's not concerned about providing these details. He's not interested in the picky ethical questions about whether or not it was right for Rahab to lie to the soldiers or not. You see, it would be tragic for us to snag our pants on the nail of Rahab's lie and spend all of our time focusing on that, never to get around to Rahab's confession of faith, which is really the whole point of the story. So section three, Rahab's confession of faith. There are several parts of this confession that are absolutely vital for us to see. The first thing that we're going to see is I want you to see the basis of Rahab's faith. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this. 
10 to 11, it says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. You see, notice the basis of Rahab's faith. This poor, sinful woman, she came to have faith in the reality of the living God because of the supernatural evidences of of what she saw in the life of God's people. I mean, this, this Rahab, she lived in a pagan land. There was no church of God in Jericho. There was no Bible. There were no godly people to tell her who God was. There were no parents who were going to raise her up to, to know uh, the Bible and to know the gospel and to know God. Yet she heard of how God moved in Egypt and how God had parted the Red Sea. She heard about how the two kings on the other side of the Jordan River, how God had destroyed them for the Israelites. And this became the basis of her faith. And it says all the people of Jericho, they began to faint because of the armies of God. The terror of the Lord had gripped them. When they saw the invading army preparing to cross the river, they came to a conscious thought that in spite of their walls, in spite of their fortress, in spite of their defenses, they were helpless because the invading army had God with it. See, let me just say this for a second. Her faith was based on what God was doing in other people's lives. One of the most important factors in somebody becoming a Christian is the evidence of what God is really doing in another Christian's life. If you are a Christian here, what evidence can be found of your faith? What evidence can be found in your life that you believe in God, that you have surrendered your life to Him, that you are a Christian? How has God changed and worked in your life? This lady Rahab, this is the only knowledge of God that she had, of what God had done in the lives of the people around her. What if, what if the only knowledge of God in Yakima was based on what God was doing in your life and my life? Would, would people even know that God exists? Or maybe even what God hasn't done in your life? You see, the evidence that God expects to find in your life is not found in the, the correctness of your, uh, of your creed, not found in your doctrine, but rather uh, the evidence that God expects in your life is the chastity of your character. The, ev- the evidence that the world around us is looking for is not to know what we believe, not to know what our doctrine is, but they want to know how a Christian behaves. They want to know how God can change their lives. Your testimony or your lack thereof, is oftentimes what will seal the deal with people and their decision of whether or not to trust Jesus, and whether or not Jesus is real, and whether or not God is really the answer to the problems in their lives. It's going to depend on on, on how we portray God in our lives and what we've allowed God to do in your life. See, if your life, if your life is the same as it was before you trusted Jesus, then what's the point? If your life is the same than before you came to God, before you came to church, then really what's the point of, uh, of following God? If, 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 if your marriage is the same with Jesus than it is without, then what's the point? If you parent the same way with Jesus than without, then, then what's the point? Rahab's 
faith was based purely on what she had seen God doing in the lives of God's people. This should be a challenge to every one of us. On what are we actually allowing God to do in us and through us? Imagine with me for a second. Imagine, imagine what if the spies came to Jericho? And, and what if, since they were traveling, since nobody would know, what if they mixed business with pleasure? What if they came to Rahab's house, not just to hide, but to be a patron of what Rahab does? Sometimes we allow ourselves to continue in sin. We make excuses for our sin. We say, well, nobody's perfect, so this is just what I struggle with. You know, this is just, this is just my weakness. And it's okay because everybody has a weakness. So it's okay that I have this weakness and I'm going to continue in my weakness. Instead of seeking God and fully trusting God to helping us overcome. Instead of, instead of seeking God's will in our life and seeking God's change in our life, <laughs> we tolerate sin in our lives. But what about the people watching you? What about the people that are wondering about Jesus? Is he real? Is he really the answer? Can he really change me? Well, that guy, you know, he says a lot about God, but, you know, he can't get rid of the porn. You know, that guy, he says he loves God, but, you know, he can't stop getting drunk. You know, so really, his life is no different than mine. So why would I want to follow his God? This should be a challenge to every one of us about what our lives look like and what we've allowed God to do in our life. There can be no excuse for us tolerating sin. We've got to continue to see God and say, God, would you change me? Not, hey, this is my weakness and just something I deal with, but God, would you work through me? Would you help me to overcome? Because I tell you, there's people all around us looking to say, is God real? If he doesn't seem real in your life, why would they follow God? Look at, what Rahab says next in her confession, verse 11. She says, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. See, secondly, she confesses faith in who God is. This here, this is the conviction of faith. This was to be the conclusion that all of Israel was supposed to make about God. But here is this pagan woman, a Canaanite harlot, with a complete confession of who God truly is. I mean, what she confessed here was totally against her culture. She confessed that she believed in one God, not the multitude of gods that populated uh, her, her city and that populated the heathen temples in her city. She believed that he was a personal God. She said, your God who works on your behalf of those people who trusted him. She, she believed that he was the God of Israel, that he would give this land to his people. This God whom she trusted was not limited only, though, to one nation or to one land, but he was the God of heaven and the God of the earth. This was Rahab believing in a great and awesome and real God. And look at what, Rahab comes next in Rahab's confession. Verse 12, she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my brother uh, and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver them, deliver our lives from death. See, thirdly, she acts 
on that faith and requests the mercy of God. With what little knowledge she had of God coming from the evidence of, the, the, of God in the life of other people, with her confession of who God truly is, that he is the one true God, she acts on that faith. And she requests God's grace and mercy for the Israelites coming to take the land. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a great old preacher, he says that faith shows itself in the whole personality. That the mind is to be instructed, the emotions are to be stirred, and the will acts in obedience to God. This is what true faith is. True saving faith isn't a feat of intellectual gymnastics in which we convince ourselves that something is real when it's not really true. That's not what true faith is. True faith is not merely a stirring of emotions that gives us a false confidence of of God that will only be there while we feel it. No. No. And true faith is not a courageous act of the will where we jump off the pinnacle of the temple and expect God to rescue us. As seen in Matthew chapter 4. See, true faith involves the whole personality. The mind is instructed, the emotions are stirred, and then the will acts in obedience. Here, Rahab's confession shows her faith in the whole personality. She knew that the God of Israel was the true God. This was the mind. She knew who God was. She looked around at the evidence of God around her, and she knew that he was real. Secondly, she feared for herself and her family when she heard about the great wonders uh, that he had performed for them. This was the emotion. God was, was stirring her emotions to believe in him. And finally, she received the spies and she pleaded for the salvation of her family. This was the will. This was her acting on her faith in God. The Apostle James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, he spoke uh, about uh, not just having an understanding of God in our mind, but that true faith requires that we act on that understanding. Rahab acted on her faith in God. She received the spice and she pleaded for the salvation of her family. And James mentions Rahab's, Rahab in chapter 2, verse 25 of his book, that her faith was justified because it was proved by her actions. Rahab had a true faith in God. That, 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 that controlled her whole being, that changed all of her entire life. Section 4 picks up the story with the escape of the spies and the protection of Rahab and her family. And we're going to be short on time, so we aren't going to spend much time looking at that. We know that, that she sends them out and uh, they say, hey, that, that red, that, that scarlet cord, hang that out of your window. And when we come, we know that this is you. Section 5 concludes with the spies and the report to Joshua. I mean, what else could the spies conclude? The only thing that they could have uh, received from the scout trip was to be sure of God's promise that God had given them the land. Their suspicions were affirmed by Rahab that the people of Jericho were afraid, afraid of Israel's God, afraid of Israel's army. So what do we take away from this story this morning? What do we take away from it? I don't know how many of us in here fit the perfect picture, perfect picture of the Proverbs 31 woman. I know I don't fit the picture of the Proverbs 31 woman, which is good because I'm a man. And if I fit that, that'd be really weird. But when we think about the epitome of faith, when we think about the, the super Christian, I'm not sure that any of us fit that model to a T. 
I'm not sure any of us have landed at the point where we do everything just right, that we are perfect. I guess that we fall somewhere between this picture of, of Rahab the prostitute, the least likely candidate for us to be a model of their faith, and, and the Proverbs 31 woman. We fall somewhere in the middle of where we are. Yet what we learn from this shady lady is that having a faith in God, a complete faith in God, a belief that he is, is awesome, a belief that he is greater than everything else this world has to offer, a belief that he is worthy of living for and he is worthy of taking risks for, and not just believing these things, but actually acting on them. This is what true faith is. And this, this is what changes a, a shameful prostitute from Jericho so that she becomes remembered as a heroine, as an example of, uh, for every one of us of what faith truly is. This is what changes her from a harlot to sharing in the genealogy of Jesus with people like, like David and Abraham. Ultimately, this is what makes our lives matter. You probably are not the perfect mom. You probably aren't the perfect dad. You're probably not the perfect son, not the perfect daughter, not the perfect anything. You're, we're definitely not the perfect person. But if you put your faith in Jesus, if you surrender your life to him, if you confess your need of Jesus as your savior and you invite him into your life, and you don't just believe these things, but you actually act upon it. You actually surrender your life to him. God can and will change you just like he did to Rahab. You don't have to be the perfect mom. You don't have to be the perfect woman. Neil and Holly, you guys are starting this journey of parenthood. You don't have to be the perfect parents. Because you know what? We won't. We're going to fail. I can't even tell you how many times I've done stupid things with my kids and the dumb things that we've done because we think it's fun. I mean, I mean I'm, uh, this is who we are. We will not be perfect. But you have to be a woman and a man whose faith is in God alone. The thing is, you don't have to be perfect. Because if your faith is in God, he redefines your legacy. Where you aren't known as being Rahab the harlot. But now you're going to be known as Rahab the heroine. Rahab the lady whose faith that we should follow. Rahab the lady who, whose Jesus came from her lineage. I mean, this is what God does. And this is why in Mother's Day, it's so important for us to understand, hey, I want to deal with where we really are. We can look at this Proverbs 31 woman and say, man, this is great. This is where we should all be. And we can all pretend that this is where we are. Well, the reality is most of us are somewhere down here. And I want to encourage us that if we're down here, it's okay. Because these are the people that God uses. These are the people that God uses to change history. These are the people that God uses to change the, the world. And if we would be this kind of person, if we would be like Rahab, if we would just put our faith completely in him, that, that God would begin to use us to make a difference in the city. That God would use us to, to begin to change the lives of our family, of the people around us. Because Rahab's family didn't change because she was a great person. Her family changed because she had faith in God, and God changed her. Do you get the point? Every one of us can be encouraged here today because this is what god does when we put our faith in him god changes us and then god uses us amen let's let's pray god it almost seems weird 
to be looking at the story of Rahab on Mother's Day. But God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word, you can speak to us. God, I pray that you would do that today. God, I pray for those in here today. I pray for those mothers, maybe those mothers who haven't been perfect. Maybe those mothers who have failed time and time again. Those mothers who will never come close to matching the description in Proverbs 31. God, I pray that you would be in their encouragement today. That God, when they put their faith in you, that God, you can change things. That God, you can redefine their legacy. That beginning now, God, that you can create a new creation. God, that's what you do when we put our faith in you. You make us a new creation. God, I pray for every one of us in here today as we look and we say, hey, yeah, we know we should be, but really that's not who we are. We know that we should be this this glorious and perfect person, but God, that's not who we are. None of us attain that. So God, I pray that you would provide that encouragement that if we just surrender to you and we, we, we keep our faith solely on you, that God, you would use us in amazing ways, that you would change us from being Rahab the harlot to being Rahab the example of the faith. And God, I pray that you would do this in all of our lives. God, Restoration Church, we're here. We're planted in downtown Yakima because we want to see people's lives be changed. God, not by looking at the Proverbs 31 woman and faking it till we make it. But God, that we would be like Rahab, that we would surrender our wills to you, that we would put our faith completely in you, and that you would change us, that you would do something new in us, that you would make us a new creation. God, we love you and we praise you. God, we thank you that this is about you and not about us. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling today that you would meet them here right now, that you would comfort them, that you would engulf them in your love and in your spirit, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.